Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know some love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is the October 9th episode. We're in 1 Kings, Ezekiel, Ephesians, and Philippians. I felt like there there was a lot this week. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to be doing a lot of just responding to you today. I think I was, again, in my life at the moment, just distracted a lot in my reading. Yeah, starting First Kings? Sure. When I was waiting for you to start the meeting, I was looking stuff up because we have two temples being built this week in First Kings. And in I, know. I was like, the timing, like, how is that? That's so just, good. It's, I know, like the way this reading plan is laid out, that was not intentional. Like it just, yes. so cool. So cool. Yes, 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 yes. Well, and I remember last year reading that and it made me think about how God cares about the little details. Every measurement counts to him. This year he spends three chapters talking about all the measurements on the inside of the temple and three sentences on the outside of the temple. Interesting. All the details that he cares about are on the inside. And so just thinking about that in light of God's message all through Mark, all through the gospels, Mm -hmm. I care about what's going on inside the heart. I just love that so much that that I had never seen that parallel before. Yeah, that's cool. So first Kings. Six through 12. I was kind of blown away by the sheer quantity of gold. <laughs> tons and How much tons and yeah. tons. So much. Oh, sorry. I just like <laughs> little tiny note. You might want to I'm leaving that, that in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when Solomon dedicates the temple and he puts the the ark in the temple. Yes. There's nothing in it except, except the, tablets. the tablets. And yes. I was like Hold on a second. What happened? Thank you. I'm so I made curious. a note of it. I was going to ask you about it too. I was like, where is it when it was stolen? Is it when it was taken away into these other cities? Did they take a bunch of stuff out of it except the tablets? Because I mean, everybody was like, they would have died. They died, right? Like the people that touched the ark, they were struck down. Remember that? I don't know. But yes, there's supposed to be a jar of mana in there and it yes. wasn't. <laughs> I know. So I, sir, I made a note of it and was like, I need to go back and look at this. Well, it's funny to be doing it now because it's like, we've, oh, I was going to say we've been reading it from the beginning. So we would have seen what happened, but we haven't. We started in February. So maybe somewhere before we started. Yeah, but we started in Genesis. I don't don't think we started in Exodus. Oh, I know that I read it. I know that I had started and then backtracked. We started in Genesis. Yep. You're right. Either the yeah, end of Genesis or the very beginning of Exodus is where we started. Okay. So we should know. We would have seen We should it. know. Yeah. So that, that is the only thing that makes sense is that when the Ark was taken to other countries or other cities, it had been pillaged. Yep. That was interesting. And I did write that down. That was in chapter eight. Mm-hmm. So then his prayer. So he dedicates yes. this, this temple. It's so, mm, 
God and his people, his people are so disappointing. From David, who was just showing this amazing godly, he's everything that I would want to be, to like then what he let happen to Tamar and mm-hmm. just disappointing me so deeply. It's funny, all these things that I've read before, but like this, it's like my first time again. Yeah. So just so super disappointed in him. And then going through the Ravi Zacharias mm-hmm. thing has been a deeply disappointing, finding disappointment in somebody that I really respected and had on a pedestal in Ravi here. And then, you know, we're going into Solomon's doing the same thing as I'm reading mm-hmm. all of this and the way he's dedicating the temple. And it's like, oh my gosh, this dude's amazing. Like his prayers for the outsiders, for the foreigners. Mm-hmm. He's basically praying all the things that we're seeing happen in Ezekiel and in the prophets, you know, cause he's saying like, when we're taken away, like help us, like teach us to repent and bring us mm-hmm. back to you. He's praying all these things that are going to happen in the future. And it's so beautiful. And then, and then <laughs> Is that where you're going. Yeah. Hi, I just wanted to take a quick break to let you know about a couple of great resources we have for you. First, did you know that we have two podcasts? I know it's confusing, but we have this one, the recap, where we highlight our takeaways from the Bible reading plan. But we also have one called the Dive Collective podcast on which we highlight the gifts and talents and stories of our members. We have three great interview episodes already up, but we have more coming soon. So you're going to want to access those on both Google and the Apple podcast platforms. We also have a couple of excellent free Bible reading resources on our website at divecollective.org. When you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get weekly emails with a devotion to start your week and a free download of the Bible reading plan. And we also have a dive guide in the shop. So check the shop out too while you're there. So head on over to divecollective.org to grab your free resources soon. I guess it's not the next chapter. It feels like it's just. And he says, after that whole big prayer, he kind of ends it in verse 61 of chapter eight, be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commands as it is today. Yes. And then he dedicates the temple and they do all of these burnt offerings. And God says, I've listened to and received all your prayers, your ever so passionate prayers. I've sanctified this temple that you have built. This is the beginning of chapter nine. My name is stamped on it forever. My eyes are on it and my heart in it always. As for you, if you live in my presence as your father, David lived pure in heart and action, living the life I've set out for you, attentively obedient to my guidance and judgments, then I'll back your kingly rule over Israel and make it a sure thing on a solid foundation. The same guarantee I gave David. But if you or your sons betray me, ignoring my guidance and judgments, taking up with alien gods by serving and worshiping them, then the guarantee is off. I'll wipe Israel right off the map and, repu- and repudiate this temple I've just sanctified to honor my name. And so Solomon honors him until he gets completely enthralled with women from all of the other pagan countries. And we see at the beginning of chapter 11, like the catalyst for the fall is the, is his obsession with women. It mm-hmm. says King Solomon was obsessed with women. Pharaoh's daughter was only the first of many foreign women. He loved Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite. He took them from surrounding pagan nations of which God had clearly warned Israel. Mm-hmm. You must not marry them. They'll seduce you into infatuations with their gods. Solomon fell in love with them anyway, refusing to give them up. He had 700 royal wives and 300 concubines. Sheer amount of gold. That's quite a lot of women to be in love with. 
A thousand women in all, and they did seduce him away from God. As Solomon grew older, his wives beguiled him with their alien gods, and he became unfaithful. He didn't stay true to his God, and as Father David had done, Solomon took up with him. This is what's so interesting. God doesn't punish Solomon. Solomon gets to live out his life as king, and which makes me think of like the way that we see justice. We want to see it directly mm-hmm. directed at the person that did the injustice, and that's not how God always works. God's going to do it his way for his reasons in it. We may not ever see justice played out, mm-hmm. but it is. Anyway, that passage, I just wanted to go back and show you something that I saw in Ephesians that goes with it that I've never seen before that was interesting. Ephesians chapter 5. It says, watch what God does and then you do it. So this is like totally personal and I'm hoping I'll probably write a little bit about this in a weekly truth on a different, in a different way. This first part that says, watch what God does and then you do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you, keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Then the very next sentence, don't allow love to turn into lust, setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity, filthy practices, or bullying greed. Where it goes from that love to immediate transition. I'm curious what how yours goes, if that's why I've never seen that transition before. Yeah, it's it definitely brings a new light to it, I think. Mine says, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's definitely an interpretation. Mm-hmm. I think I had read that right before I read this portion and I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. there it is. Love transitions into lust and then you're off and running to the, mm-hmm. the downward spiral of the toilet bowl. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what? This is a total side note. But Isaac and I were walking the other day and I mentioned the Ravi Zacharias thing to him. And he hadn't heard about it. And so we were talking about it. And I'm like, it's kind of, Cause we were, I was talking, I think when we talked with Kelly on Monday, you may have said something about how David messed up too, but he had like an opportunity to make it right. Mm-hmm. But then I was talking to him like, yeah, but David had how many wives? Like it's, it There's feels so like it's a yes. standard. Yeah. Like yeah. David's out there like having sex with all the women that he wants. Yeah. And like, it, it's so frustrating. Like that, that is something that I do not understand is why that whole like, monogamy thing didn't happen until later and wasn't addressed right like that god allowed it like it wouldn't i don't think it was ever right yeah no i don't think it was ever right but he never he never talks about i mean aside from like the garden of eden when god creates man and woman to be one flesh he doesn't ever address the fact that a man should have one wife until the new testament and they live that way without consequences really but did everybody or mostly just kings? Didn't Abraham have more than one wife? Maybe it's I'm concubine. just thinking, It was a normal Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. Jacob had Rachel and... Right. Yeah. Leah and yeah. two other ones too, right? Yep. And Hannah was one of more... Yeah. So wife. I just... 
Yeah. That is something I do not get. <laughs> and maybe like, it was like, like for roofs? procreation, Earth, there weren't as many people. And so they were trying to like make people. I don't know. I'm with you though. Jacob's sons were all sons of different wives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was you, like a like totally the fathers normal. of Israel were, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. I don't get it. But either. then you have like Solomon who. Would it have been okay if they had all been Israelite women? Right. Exactly. Like the only yeah. problem is that they're turning. It's not the fact that he's got a thousand women. I mean, yes. that is a problem, but it's a problem because they're foreign women and they're, and turning, they're turning his, his heart, heart to idols. Can we address the elephant in the room? <laughs> the fact that he has too many women to even sleep with in a year. I don't get it. I don't get it either. I don't okay. get it. Rant over. No, it's so interesting. All right, Ezekiel, unless you have anything else from... I don't. Okay. At the very beginning in chapter 36, mm-hmm. well, the middle of chapter 36, one of the things that stuck out to me was the reminder that when God acts, he acts for the sake of his name. <laughs> in mm-hmm. verse 22, it says, therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. It is not for your sake that I will act house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went, I will honor the holiness of my great name. Yada, yada, yada. And he says, he's going to demonstrate it through them. So even that's another one of those kind of almost sometimes conflicting things in God's characters that like his love drives what he does, but so does his holiness. And sometimes I cannot reconcile those two things together. But this is also talking about his restoration of Israel. So in the sense in that, like, that's easy to recognize or reconcile his love and his holiness together because he's restoring Israel and he's doing it because he loves them. But that's almost, that's more secondary. It's yes, he loves them, but he's also doing it for the sake of his name. Right. He's actually restoring this, his name because it, in that whole passage, the parts that stood out to me were actually the opposite parts where it's like, you have blackened my name everywhere you've gone. These are God's people, but they got kicked off this land. I suffered much pain over my holy reputation, which the people of Israel blackened in every country they entered. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it for me to save my character, my holy name, which you've blackened in every country where you've gone. I'm going to put my great and holy name on display, the name that has been ruined in so many countries, the name that you blackened wherever you went. He says like three times. It's just, and then the very next paragraph, this is a verse that cannot be overused. Mm-hmm. I hear it a lot. I'll pour pure mm-hmm. water over you and scrub you clean. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and, and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. You'll once again live in the land I gave your ancestors. Anyway, son of man, did you like think about that? Yes. And Ezekiel, talk about that at all? Yeah. He's talking to Ezekiel though. He calls Ezekiel yeah. son of man. Sure does. Yeah, I haven't done any digging into that Mark thing, and I still really, really want to, because it's in other Gospels. Like, what is the purpose? Like, what is... When does he use Son of Man and Son right, of and God? Right, and why? Like, what's the reason? Yeah. I mean, yeah. other than to emphasize his humanity versus his deity, like, that seems like the obvious answer. But in the Mark thing, I guess, I mean, it was in reference to his death and suffering, so I guess that makes sense that it would be he'd be emphasizing the humanity aspect of Jesus. 
Well, let me start us on a train of thought and see if it goes anywhere. Because one of the things that I was noticing was son of, God is calling Ezekiel son of man and Ezekiel is a prophet. And the passage right before Jesus first calls himself the son of man in Mark, Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? And they list the prophets. Some say that you're Elijah or one of the prophets. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then he says, who do you say that I am? And they say, you are the Messiah. And he says not to tell anybody about that. And then the very next line is where he says, he tells them what must happen to the son of man. I'm not coming to any conclusions there, but I just was like, that's interesting that he's like playing both roles. Like I am a prophet and Messiah. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm both. Well, and right. this is what like happens prophet, to prophets. Prophet, king is what he is. Right, right, yeah. right. Prophet, priest, and king. And I wonder if that's what he's talking about. Like he's actually going to go through the same things that prophets, all the prophets went through. He's going to suffer the way that prophets mm-hmm. suffer. Yeah. Maybe that was his, what he, that was his role. I'm totally thinking out loud. Maybe that was his role during that time was the role of prophet. Right. He, savior till he comes. Yes. You know what I mean? Right. The prophet priest king thing. It's like, I think it's all simultaneous, but it's also kind of separate because right. You're right. I think when Jesus is here during his ministry on earth, he is in a sense functioning as a prophet because he's right. declaring the word of the Lord to the people. Yes. And then as priests, like he's our great high priest, right? And he Yes. Which is what he's functioning the as things now. That, right. And and he is king and will be king. It's all of this yeah. already, not yet, like both and yeah. We see, we see um like the glimpse of it, but it's not fully. Yeah. And I've never actually, t- we don't talk about Jesus as prophet. No, not much. Mm-mm. But that's what it makes me think of drawing that conclusion or seeing that observation in Mark this past week, which had me like, wait, what? Then seeing it here in Ezekiel, that's a neat connection. Yep. We didn't talk about the dry bones one, but I don't really have a lot to say. It's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I know that people use it a lot to pray for things that they see that are dead. Mm-hmm. not physically dead, but a city that's dead or a community that's dead. Well, for one, along that line, it just is such a picture of what Christ did for us. I mean, oh. he takes what's dead and makes it alive. Like that's just, that's what he does yeah. over and over and over. But I also liked Ezekiel's response at the beginning when God asks him, son of man, can these bones live? His response is, Lord God, only you know. He's just so, yes. like, you are the only one that, you're asking me this question, but you are the only one that knows the answer to that. I just really Makes me think of so many of the questions in Jesus's life as we're reading Mark. How many times Jesus asks the question and like nobody answers because only he knows. Right. Just like that recognition that God's ways are not our ways. And they're so much, so far beyond us. Only he could possibly know. It was, I wrote next to it. I was like, what a humble response. I think I would have said, no. Can these live? No. (laughs) All right. The one thing that I did notice that I loved is chapter 40. It's titled measuring the temple complex. Mm -hmm. Chapter 42 at the end verses 15 through 16 it says after he'd finished measuring what was inside the temple area he took me out the east gate and measured it from the outside and then there's like verse 17 mm-hmm. through 20 and that's 
that that's the measurement of the outside of the temple. Yeah. Just three, three verses. There's another little section in 41 of the outside of the temple, but it's nothing compared to what the interior details are. Oh, good to know. I was I actually did kind of like not read that very closely. So that was interesting, but I love that it's called the temple complex. Yeah. How complex the heart is. It's so yeah. complex, all the different pieces. And that's sort of how I feel this week is I feel like God's kind of like, like pulling things out of my heart. He's like putting things in my heart and it just feels like it's like, like he keeps putting stuff in and putting stuff in and putting stuff in and it's like too much. Like I feel many times this week I've been like, Lord, this is too much. I want to remember this. One thing at a time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can't take anymore. It's all too complex. Anyway, anything else from Ezekiel? No, but I'm excited to read chapter 43 next week about the glory of God coming in from the East. I mean, that would have been mm. cool, but we can save that for next week. <laughs> I not actually read it yet. I just read the first two lines just now. Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. I realized this week as I was reading through Ephesians that I love the first three chapters so much more than the second three. <laughs> when I'm reading, this is how I relate to the word of God often. Are The first three chapters are so... Um, theological and like, this is who you were and this is who you are. And this is what Jesus did and who Jesus. And then the other three chapters are much more practical. Like, okay, Mm. so then we've laid this out. Now this is how you live. And that's the part that I always want to skim over. And that's not a good thing because those first, like the first three chapters, the whole purpose of those, one of the purposes is to inform, to set you up the way we live. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that's beautiful. The Holy spirit was pricking your heart. Yeah. Cool. One of the things that I think is cool from Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3 verses 8 through like 12 ish. Mm -hmm. He calls God's was God's multifaceted wisdom, which I love that. But verse 10. Okay. Just kidding. I'm going to read verse eight. This grace was given to me to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Mm -hmm. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. Mm -hmm. That's crazy that that God has chosen to use his people, the church, to reveal to teach like heavenly the angels. Beings. Yes. Mm-hmm. About who he is. Like that just makes my brain kind of explode a little bit. Yes. To think that there's any purpose outside of what we're experiencing or the world or that like, yeah. yeah. And we're totally unaware of it. Yeah. And how does Paul know this? Like what is, I, I mean, I, I saw that and I was like, I don't know anything. I literally wrote in the, in the margin, what do angels talk about today? Like, what are they seeing today that they're talking about? You know, like, what is, I mean, because he specifically, this is the way that Eugene Peterson translates it. This extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. I don't know. I just like. Because they didn't know, like the angels don't know everything. So they're watching Jesus become man and save the world, just like humanity is. Like they're watching it all unfold and they are. They're like, God uses them as instruments, but they don't necessarily They're being know. told a story too. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. That's wow. So then we come upon our prayer, mm-hmm. which is beautiful the way that we've written it. It says, but in, 
The message says, I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love, reach out and experience the breadth, test its length, plumb its depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Mm, I love that. Test mm. its lengths. That's yeah. such a, it's a cool thing to think about the fact that. Test its lengths. Yes. God's love is, even when we test it, even when we like so push its good. limits, it's going to come out the winner. We can't. I love that. Unprove. Yeah. We can't mess it up. Yeah. And he welcomes that testing, you know, yeah. because he knows he's going to prove himself fully yeah. trustworthy and and it's like it's kind of like when you put it that way there's like different parts different phases of our walk we're in different parts of that experiencing the breadth testing its length right now mm -hmm. i feel like i'm in the plumbing the depths part mm -hmm. yeah yeah make the well bigger mm -hmm. plummet steps love that chapter four talking about being mature we're getting into those chapters you don't like um <laughs> I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. And then I made that Where note of that? what does it mean, alert and noticing differences? But then he goes into talking about the body and how we were meant to be all these different pieces with these different gifts doing these different things, mm -hmm. which is not how we think about the, that's not how we think about like a group of people, a group of people come together because they're all so similar in, in a certain respect, but in Christ's body, we all come together because we should be rejoicing in those differences because mm -hmm. those differences are, are what make the body work. It's, it's our yeah. differences that bring us joy or it's supposed yeah. to be anyway. It's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. So in Philippians chapter two, to um, give this context in the context of Ravi Zacharias and what's been going on with him and recognizing that like it was, he was using this false pretense to build this platform to ultimately do great things. One of the things that I've kind of like been turning over in my heart is Lord, like you've done it. Like if there was any piece of me that wanted a platform, it's gone. <laughs> gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't that think that, that was, we I don't ever think that day. was my motive. Yeah. For anything regarding dive collective, but maybe like there might've been a part of me that might've felt like that's what have been, would have been a marker of success. Mm -hmm. And now it's, I want none of it. No, I want, there's not I want, really anything I want less. Yeah. Yeah. I want none of it. And so then I was, so then I just came across this chapter two. So I'm having that kind of moment with God that was like, thanks for clearing that out of me. And then I came to this in chapter two. It says, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, be deep spirit friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top, put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. This past few weeks, as I'm realizing, or as we are realizing not in our heads, but like it's actually being realized that there are people within our ministry who have gifts 
that desire to use them. You know what I mean? Mm. They desire to be using them. And the original vision all along was for Dive Collective to be a place where people could come to use their gifts. Coming across that passage, it was like, yes, like that's everything. Like that's everything that I want this to be like forever and ever and ever. I just want it to be a place where if somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit and they're like, they're just longing to put their hands to work in a way that God glorifying, let this be the space to do it. You know, bring Mm -hmm. it to our attention and bring it to the surface so we can say, yes, how can I come alongside you and help you do this thing that you're like, God's put it on your heart to do. I don't know. It just gets me so excited about what we're doing and that it yeah. does, that this whole thing, if it's successful, will be a platform for everybody to be doing mm-hmm. what they're, whatever the Holy Spirit is calling their hands mm-hmm. to do. It's not going to be my face. It's not going to be your yeah. face. Like I'm moving, yeah. you just moved out of, but for those who don't know, you just moved out of Bible study leading, which is giving space for other people to come up and do that. Mm-hmm. And if we continue to do it right, more people are going to come up behind those people Yep. And I'll be moving out of the, some of those spaces to be able to go and do these other spaces. It's not mm-hmm. going to be our face. It's literally going to be a collective body mm-hmm. doing the things that they're passionate about. And that's just, it was a relief. It was almost like I came across that passage and I was like, that's right. Because if we're doing it right, it's going to be this incredible thing. And there's nothing that makes my heart happier than seeing people do Mm-hmm. what they love to do. Like there's, there's nothing that brings me more joy. How do we get mm-hmm. people doing what they love to do? Well, and it makes me so think funny. about in Mark the past couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus feed thousands of people and that like multiplying idea. That's what it is. We can accomplish so much more when there are more people doing the work. That's, just, yes. I mean, it's not rocket science. <laughs> yeah. I think that to a lot of people in ministry, they see the work and they're trying to get the workers. For me, I see the workers. I don't see all the work that needs to be done. I'm just seeing all the workers that want to be doing work and don't have any idea or where to put that energy. Or where, yeah. And it's like, yeah. how do we get those workers? Because that's what's so life-giving. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab. And we will see you next week.